What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. Yep, we're back. The Matt Baxter podcast, and I'm hanging out with a friend who let me let me just share you the power of social media and LinkedIn. Devin Thorpe and I, I would call Devin a friend now. I reached out to him on LinkedIn. I said, Devin, I don't know what the context is, but I feel like we need to meet. We need to hang out. He's like, All right, cool. So we met up in Utah. I was in Salt Lake City. I said, Hey, I'm in town. We sat down for coffee and we hit it off right away. We became friends, we became pals and I was like, yep, you seem like the guy that I need to have on my podcast. He hopped on the podcast. We had an absolute blast of a show. You'll get a chance to listen to it here in a second. But he's a guy who's who's truly, truly changing the world. He's uh, he's had a chance to interview Bill Gates for a couple hours and got to know some amazing people. He's been all across news channels, stations, and um, he is big into social impact and nonprofit work. And he is a phenomenal man in that space. He's also a regular uh, author and writer for Forbes. Uh, he's got a podcast of his own. He's an author. He's just he's just all over the place in the best of ways, improving the lives of people and for social good. So if you're interested in those sorts of things, which I would imagine you would, you got to tune into this episode with Devin Thorpe. Thanks, Doug, for being a guest on the show. Well, Devin, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. It's an honor. Golly, thanks for having me. So I have just been blown away by some of the impact that you've had in the nonprofit world, but I know there's a far pretty deep rooted story that's led up to all that. So give me the background. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, really it starts a long, long time ago. Um, Recently you and I sat down for coffee in Salt Lake and I think I shared this with you, but, but when I was a kid, I was just 11 years old when, uh, 
the Teton Dam failed in southern Idaho. And I, I know your audience is national, global, so a lot of people don't have a sense. But the the proximity, I, I live in Salt Lake and did at the time. And uh, Salt Lake City is just about a four-hour drive from Rexburg. So uh, not that far away. And, and a lot of people from Salt Lake ended up going up to Rexburg that summer. And... Um, to help dig muck and mud out of basements. And it was really, a, a, you know, just something that people did uh, all, really all around the West because the, the town of Rexburg was so devastated by this flood. About 80% of the structures there were damaged or destroyed. Anyway, my dad uh, invited me to go with him uh, up to Rexburg to dig the muck and mud out of basements. And so I thought that sounded like a good time and uh, agreed to go. Uh, we got on buses about two o'clock in the morning and rode through the night, arriving at dawn, worked all day, came home. And I remember thinking I'd made such an incredible difference. And in fact, I reflect on it now and I recognize that I really didn't make a, a difference. I didn't really help. I was probably more in the way than helpful. Um, I was not, you know, a, a big, strong 11 year old. I was a little wimpy 11 year old <laughs> and uh but i just really felt like we had made a huge difference uh that i had made a difference and i i vowed that i would never miss an opportunity to do good to help other people and i did you know i i went on to have a successful finance career but i developed this idea in my mind that i would devote the second half of my career to service one way or another and i was never sure what form that would take and never committed in my mind one way or another. But when I got fired from the best job I'd ever had as the CFO of a global food and beverage company about eight, nine years ago, I decided to sort of channel that enthusiasm of my youth and launch into this second phase of my career. And uh, so I've spent the last eight years writing, speaking, uh, and podcasting about doing good in the world. And uh, it's been a marvelous experience for me. So throughout the course of your business career, when did you feel like you had a similar sort of uh, feel good about the good you're doing moment throughout the course of that? I'm sure there's tons and tons of moments, but can you think of, you know, an experience where you really felt like the work you were doing was not just, you know, good transactions and stuff like that, but was there a moment where you felt like, man, I'm doing some good work for people? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, probably not, probably not, not during my, uh, career. And, you know, there are a lot of things I loved about my career and, uh, I mean, I genuinely, enjoyed what I did in the finance world. And I was pretty good at it, I think. Um, especially, you know, the role that really suited me well was the role of CFO. And I, I think I did a really good job of that in general. I, not that I didn't make any mistakes at all, but, um, you know, it's, it's a job that requires a certain passion. And I think I had just the right temperament for that. But at the same time, I look back at you know what I felt in my youth in that experience in Rexburg, right? What I felt there 
and, and no, I it, I never repeated that in the work that I was doing before I launched my new career. And since that time, I've many times at least had the opportunity to meet with people who are doing such incredible work uh, to talk about the, the good that they're doing. And, you know, I, I can't have a conversation where I don't mention that I had Bill Gates on my show and, but, uh, you know, he is, he's a, you know, a phenomenal individual, uh, really an inspiring individual. It was a thrill to meet him and talk to him. Uh, I've now uh, interviewed him twice. Um, but there are countless people who have a comparable passion uh, and in many ways, uh, greater impact. Uh, you know, that may be a little bit difficult to measure, but just extraordinary people. And that has really uh, inspired me and left me just feeling so incredibly good about the work that I do now. You say most of the work that you do now is, uh, uh, let me rephrase that. Do you think the good that you feel, uh, this this positive internal feeling is, is, is micro um, sort of, uh, impact or macro impact. And what I mean by that is uh, Bill Gates is working through the process of solving polio, right? As a, as a yep. macro idea, whereas there are plenty of uh, volunteer or nurses or, or doctors who are solving individual case by case basis. So do you feel a greater sense of impact by the micro or the sort of macro big solvents of things? Well, that's a great question. And what I would say is I'm absolutely convinced everyone who cares about solving problems in the world needs to work on both. Um, you know, if you're thinking about climate change, uh, yes, you, you need to be, you know, giving money to the people who advocate for these things. You need to be talking about it. You need to be macro about it because uh, we need to get everyone engaged in that effort. But at the same time, you've got to be micro. Sometimes you've got to go plant a tree. Sometimes you've got to buy a car uh, that takes into account your carbon footprint. Sometimes you've got to think about uh, the environment when you make day-to-day -day choices about the food you eat and the food you waste or don't waste. And You know, we, we've got to get uh, granular. And so when you're talking about helping people, uh, like uh, polio is a great example. Uh, you know, I, I give a little bit of money to polio. I spend a lot of time talking about it. I spend uh, a lot of effort trying to raise money for it, bring attention to it. At the same time, occasionally, I go to far off places and I drop polio drops into the mouths of little kids. And it's important, I think, for us to, to do both, to think about both sides of that coin. So I think the question you ask is super insightful. Um, and I think the answer is we, we have to do and appreciate both. I know I've come to appreciate both aspects of, of that micro macro question. Yeah, sure. Um, so are you okay if I ask a, a, a tough question? Please ask tough questions. 
when do you feel like uh, helping hurts? And that is certainly not my own question. Yeah, a lot of people ask this, and it, it's really a struggle. It's really a struggle. Uh, there is clearly um, a school of thought that delivering free goods to people in the developing world, whether that's food, clothes, whatever, has a negative effect uh, because it has the impact of discouraging people from offering those services profitably. And there are lots of anecdotes about that. At the same time, I don't think it's a there's a universal uh, effective argument against that. So I want to caution on the other side that, that we're not too quick to judge. Let me give you an example. Uh, a really thoughtful um, study was done about giving away uh, bed nets uh, to fight malaria. And, and there are lots of anecdotes out there of people finding bed nets being used in unintended ways as fencing, uh, decoratively as a fishnet, as a tool for fishing, all kinds of different things. Um, lots of anecdotes. And so people would argue, well, people don't appreciate what they get for free. But a really thoughtful randomized control trial done on this question found that if you give someone a free bed net, not only will they likely use it, but they are much more inclined to buy a, a bed net in the future. So it doesn't discourage people from buying, doesn't negatively impact vendors of bed nets. It positively impacts vendors of bed nets. So uh, these are complex issues. Um, I, I would say that it's a, as a general rule, I wouldn't take stuff. Uh, for instance, um, it's really common for people in the United States to travel abroad and gather up a bunch of stuff from their friends, fill up suitcases or even container loads of stuff and take it to the developing world and give it away. And I'd say, you know, one of the things that happens oftentimes is that people take stuff they can buy in the developing world. Uh, we sometimes think of all of Africa as being like one giant village on the Maasai Mara, right? That, that everyone lives like that. And in fact, in every country in Africa, there are big cities with stores where you can go buy stuff. And in most, you know, there are a few really impoverished countries where you might not be able to get all the things you want, but across the border, there is all the stuff you want. Um, it's just much better to go, you know, gather up money, go to Africa, buy that stuff. And if you have to give it to people that, that can't afford to buy it, and that's often the case, just, you know, do them the country the courtesy of buying the stuff there instead of buying it here and shipping it across and then giving it away. So yeah. that's kind of my take on that question. But it's a great question. And it's, 
I really want to discourage people from judging too harshly because, boy, I don't think we know really all the times, all the impacts that we're having, good and bad. Totally. And I think we can make a lot of assumptions that uh, when somebody with the best of heart is trying to help, even if there is a slight negative byproduct, I mean, I think there's worse cases in the world of yeah. thinking through that. So, yeah, totally yeah. agree. So let's talk about impact. You just mentioned uh, you, you see, you know, we don't really know the impact that we, we good or bad. What impact do you want to have? Well, there are three areas that I like to focus on in my work. Um, and they're, they're rather macro. Uh, one is uh, uh, the eradication of extreme poverty. The second is uh, improving global health. And the third is fighting climate change. And I, you know, I, I want to see those problems solved in my lifetime. Uh, and, you know, I hope to live a long, long time, but in my mind, the deadline for resolving these issues completely is 2045. And I think with climate change, the nature of that problem is such that we can't solve it by then, but we can put ourselves on the path towards solving it, right? If we completely move off fossil fuels and improve our, our food supply and, and a few other things, by 2045, we may still be experiencing the adverse effects of climate change in 2045, but we will know that we will be on a path toward uh, reducing global temperatures and, and, and creating a more stable uh, environment on the planet. I love that. And then what about, uh, what about the micro side of things? So you're looking at the macro perspective. What about yeah. the micro, micro yeah. additions of those? So in the in the micro sense, I, I want to be engaged in all of those things, right? I want to be doing my part. Uh, you know, environmentalists sometimes get criticized because they're not kind of doing everything they should. And I try pretty hard. I, I want to be clear that if you follow me around for a couple of days, you're going to say, Devin, I counted 33 ways in which you didn't do the optimal thing for the environment. But but um, I drive an electric car, I eat a vegan diet, I, uh, you know, recycle, you know, as much of the stuff that I consume as I can. I really try to avoid food waste, which is really people, that's probably the most underestimated uh, impact on the environment uh, that there is, that is food waste. Because right? there's so much energy that goes into producing food, if we if we uh, don't eat it, it, that all that energy is just wasted. So that's that's a in an important takeaway. But with respect to global health, you know, I continue to uh, look forward to opportunities to travel to do things to help people in that regard. And same with with uh, with uh, extreme poverty. You know, this this year I've had, it's been a great year. I've been able to visit. Uh, seven countries including mexico and guatemala and honduras and and in those opportunities had opportunities to see and in some ways help uh to address these these issues on a micro level as well as a macro that's powerful impactful and 
I also want to say thank you because you're much better than I am at uh, being so mindful of those things. That's that's fantastic. Um, I try. I try. <laughs> so my favorite question in the, in the whole world is the question around what gets you out of bed in the morning the most. And I think you've touched on uh, that in, in a couple different ways as well, too. But one of the reasons I love that question is because it gets to, yes, the deeper why, but also like the day to day of, okay, I got to get up and I got to go do this. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. And it's, I think it's a very insightful questions that, that just, it's one of my favorite things on the planet to ask because it, it just dives very deep into who the person is. So I'd love to know your answer to that. As a practical matter, it, it does shift. It does change day to day, right? It's not the, it, it, at the at that moment where you're literally trying to is ah, do I have to get out of bed now? That moment of decision every day, um, you know, it's it's going to be at least for me, it tends to be different. It it isn't the macro uh, so much as the micro. You find yourself looking for okay, what do I need to do this morning that I will enjoy doing <laughs> to get out of it? Oh, that that's going to be great. I better get going. Um, you know, whether it's recording a podcast with Matt Baxter or whatever other thing that you're doing in the day. So that, that's going to be worth being ready for. It's going to be worth getting out of bed for. And so I look for those, those micro moments that uh, inspire me and it's, it's, uh, it's different every day. I love that. I love that. Um, so You've had the chance, you, you touched on this earlier, and I think this brings a full circle. You had the chance to spend some time with Bill Gates and talk to him, sounds like on multiple occasions. And you're somebody who I think is just as mindful and has uh, just as much of a day-to-day -day impact as somebody like that as well, too. What is your one piece of advice for every person practically going forward today on how to have a great influence and help people? What would be your well, my advice doesn't matter. Let me tell you what let me tell you what Bill Gates said because that's so much more interesting. I asked him about his superpowers. And he I really identified uh two or three. One is his team building skills, and I would say to everyone that that uh you can't overestimate the power of collaboration. And so we all need to be finding ways to do more things together, to truly collaborate, work on projects, uh, because individually we just aren't as effective as we are together. So team building, one super strength that Bill Gates has that we can all develop. Second one was optimism and patience. And he, he ran those two together. And we got on this topic a little bit because he was talking about creating a new uh, vaccine for polio. And he started working on this eight years ago. And when he started working on it, really everyone thought that polio would be eradicated before we could implement the new vaccine into the cycle. Because it, you know, that when he started working on it, there were just, you know, 300 cases a year of polio in the whole world. And so it's not like there, there's rampant polio to the opposite. There's just a few places where, so anyway, people were saying we won't need it. Well, eight years later, 
we're still we're going to have this year over 100 cases of polio still in the world. Uh, and it's proving to be one of the great problems that we have is uh, what's called vaccine-derived polio. And his new vaccine addresses that problem perfectly. That's why they wanted to create it. And now we'll have this tool that we that a lot of smart people said we would never need. Now, in fact, we're going to need it. But it, it was his kind of that forward vision and his patience, his willingness to say, hey, if we don't need it, we don't need it. But let's spend the next eight years or 10 years, whatever it takes to develop this vaccine, because we'll be glad we did when we're done, probably. So that's there's a certain optimism, a certain patience that uh, we see in this work. He talked about it again with respect to a, a vaccine for AIDS. And, and that's in the works. People are getting excited about the prospect for that now. And I mean, that'll be really a game changer. But uh, it, that's taken 25 years of work. And so he kind of celebrates that patience. And we can all develop a little bit of more long-term thinking, a little more optimism, a little more patience. Those are skills I think we can all develop or improve on. And then the third superpower he talked about was um, his money. <laughs> and, and clearly, at the scale he has money, it is a genuine superpower. I mean, it's very uh, Batman-esque superpower, right? The billionaire with the lair superpower. and But he's built his lair is the headquarters of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in, in Seattle. And it's a magnificent facility full. You know, there are a thousand employees there working to solve the world's big problems. It's amazing. That's his billionaire lair. But all of us have some money. And I'm absolutely convinced that our money is kind of a superpower. When we use even our modest, most modest resources to do good in the world, it leverages our good intent. It leverages our good actions. And when we align our good intent, our good actions with our money, it really becomes powerful. And, uh, you know, you take your average family with a $75,000 income, you say, could you give 3% of that to charity? And he'd say, well, yeah, so that's 2,250 bucks. And he'd say, could you donate some time around that project? And suddenly you realize, wow, with a couple thousand dollars and a couple hundred hours over the course of a year, you can really make a difference. You can have an impact you, for you sure. You can have a real impact. And so that's one of the, that's the, one of the key takeaways I have. You don't need to be a billionaire. Um, if we make just the commitment to do a little, we can do a lot. I love that. That is one of the best ways to go and <laughs> take on the day you have with not as much money as you think and just a little bit of time. There, there's, there's some great things to be done. Boy, I totally agree. Totally agree. Love that. Well, Devin, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? No, no, except that uh, I would encourage everyone to subscribe to your podcast because it's awesome. You've got really inspirational people on all the time. And so people ought to definitely be pulling you up. I found you on Spotify, but you can find you on, on Apple, iTunes. It's not iTunes anymore. Apple Podcasts. You can find you, I'm sure, on Stitcher and on Google Play. But people ought to be 
subscribing to your your podcast. Just great content. I love that. Well, thank you for the shout out. Should be shouting out you. But Devin, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. It's an honor. Thank you.